look at the original lineup, and I know there's a college yeah. humor like parody of this, but you look at the original lineup, and it is questionable how they got away with thinking they could give the mm-hmm. color of Rangers the, yeah. to the people that they did. Curious fact of the day. So I learned this the other day. So obviously, like I think most people know that like Power Rangers is j- Japanese. Like I mean, if you yeah, didn't know Sentai. that, you weren't paying mm-hmm. that enough attention. <laughs> But apparently, when they ported it over to the States, they only refilmed the ones, like, the scenes that showed the actors' faces, mm-hmm. and all the fight scenes are the Japanese actors, and they yes. were just like, nah, we'll save the money, we're not refilming this. So yeah, they had to try five places that looked the same, so that their settings would all match. Yeah, it's also why the Yellow Ranger doesn't have a skirt, because in Super Sentai, the Japanese series, mm. they're a male. The only yep. female <laughs> is the Pink Ranger. I don't know I if you guys only, knew this. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I can only assume we all learned this from the Angry Video Game Nerd Power Rangers episode. Actually, no. I learned it from Wizard of the Bruiser <laughs> podcast, which you should also listen to. But uh, I'm actually admittedly just a huge Power Rangers nerd. Like, I, mm. I love it more than a grown man should. Um, <laughs> I watch Mighty Morphin on Netflix all the time. How was the, the new movie that just came out? I heard mixed okay. things and I didn't it's go okay. and see it. No, it was fantastic. And it was like it was overproduced and it was cheesy, but like that's the original series. Yeah, they, they, and when they said, <laughs> yeah, and so they actually the the end sets it up for a sequel that would work so well, and apparently it's canceled and they're just gonna oh. reboot it instead. Yeah, but Lionsgate, that's what the world needs another Power Rangers reboot. <laughs> but Lionsgate is handling it, so oh, that could be good. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's your daily facts of Power Rangers. Welcome! We're Cantrips and Coffee. <laughs> and uh, this is our side table. We're back in the Natural 20 Cafe, which, if you didn't know it, doesn't actually exist. We're in a pandemic, guys. You think we're going to a cafe? Mm. Goodness. Uh, but it is our little escape from reality. And we're here to just have some ca- casual conversation about tabletop, like good friends do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we're going to start, actually. With some listener mail. We have people who listen to us. Hurrah. Thank you. Because <laughs> otherwise this would be just really sad. Can you imagine <laughs> if every month we had like four listens and it's just us? Yes, I can imagine that. That was my old <laughs> podcast and I did it for three years. <laughs> no one listened. Splash Page Podcast. It's about comics. If you want to listen to outdated comic book news, go back. It's still on Spotify. <laughs> Maybe there will be a renaissance after this nah. <laughs> the man well, who labors again. in obscurity deserves the most respect Cade it was real bad uh. <laughs> well I'm not sure we're doing much better but these <laughs> comments from some listeners may suggest that we are and our first one comes from Wiley on Instagram uh, it's just about us in general He says, hey, I've been listening to your podcast, and it's hilarious. I've been playing some RPG games with some friends recently, and it's great to hear your guys' reviews and get new ideas. Also, it helps get me through the workday listening to them and laughing. Thank you, Wiley. Thank you. You might be the first person that's ever said, like, hey, Cade, you're funny. (laughs) Even my wife doesn't think I'm funny, so that's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) You made me laugh right there, Cade. (laughs) He doesn't mention your name. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm the weakest link of the podcast. 
That's it. I'm gonna dub. I do all the editings. If people don't know, I'm the one that edits the podcast. So I'm just gonna dub in better jokes for just (laughs) me, and then your guys's laughter at other people. I'm gonna sub Mm. that in, and it's just gonna be like, oh man, everyone thinks Kate's real funny. Steal our jokes. Just yeah, our lines and cut yourself over over your lines. (laughs) The magic is in the edit anyway, so you make mm -hmm. it funny. You guys are in trouble. (laughs) <laughs> on that That's point i was uh i was actually listening back to our gods episodes without you Cade, and uh i i don't know maybe i was in a negative funk that day or something but i was texting you before i'd actually listened to them and i was just like Ugh, they were terrible like i don't know i just just thrown off because you weren't there and like i know that's not your fault but like i just whatever man and then i listened to it and i was like this guy is a masterpiece editor there is no <laughs> way i sounded that damn good <laughs> oh, and see, and I have plans on how to make them better. I have ideas, so we'll, we'll talk. see. We'll yeah, talk. talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's uh, go over to a comment about stuff we've actually done and not things we might do. And uh, the next one comes from Colin Broad from our Facebook group, which everybody should be a part of. Page, uh, not group. Mm, that just I just aged myself. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll, <laughs> hang up my, I'll hang up my internet hat. <laughs> And he writes in about DCC, which uh, to this day is still our most highly uh, listened to episodes. Like those yeah, guys came in DCC. That's what yeah. we're doing only. Yeah. They yeah. those guys came in full force, and they were just like, "Yeah." <laughs> Colin Broad says, "I enjoyed the actual play of DCC, which for some years now has become my default RPG of choice. Your review was fair, considering what little you had to work with." the quick start rather than the actual rule book but you miss some of the best stuff in dcc like the criticism that spells are awesome but melee is just swing and hit crit or fumble check out the rules for mighty deeds they make feats from late edition versions of DD look really sad or the skill system you can do anything your character can do the limit is more what you and the judge agree upon and not as stifling as those johnny come lately skills from late edition versions of DD. also Zero level demi humans do know they are demi humans. They just don't get much in the way of special powers until they level up. Now, Cade, you saw this comment. You actually reached out to Colin. I did. I can't remember what exactly I said, but in my head canon, they wake up one day and find <laughs> out that they're a hobbit, and it's just like a terrible version of puberty. Like, it's Damn, just I'm like a dwarf. Instead, of, instead of your voice dropping, you just shrink, and you're like, oh no! Like, <laughs> <laughs> this guy's like a gigantic seven foot Adonis, loves yeah. his body, and just. Everyone, everyone else in your class is getting pimples, and you get really pointy ears, and you live for a hundred <laughs> years longer. Like, <laughs> you're all of a sudden like, I have a an urge. Mm-hmm. I gotta get mining. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what they have to say. That's the only way to play DCC, as far as I'm concerned, Cade. <laughs> I mean, they uh, they promoted our stuff. Like they put out our episodes on their website. Clearly, we're right. Like we're we part have of the, the secret canon. background lore. So mm-hmm. <laughs> one of their uh, one of their website people uh, was emailing me saying because I I reached out to thank them and they said that they really enjoyed listening to it and all I it took everything within me to not write back and be like. So we did it right, or we did it wrong, and we <laughs> laughed like what? It- <laughs> there is no right. Mm-hmm. But I agree with the sentiment of the comment that uh, we kind of just scratched the surface. Seemed like there's so much more to it, and it's just begging to play to like level ten. You know? Yeah, that is kind of true of all the systems we play, though. Right? It's we true. are just it doing the quick start yeah. and seeing what they give us, and that is what they chose to be. 
hey, here, try this. This is the yeah. compressed the version of our system. Yeah. So it is also not on, like, it's kind of not to blame the developers or their, you know, production. Yeah. It's just that's what they chose to highlight, so we can only review what they highlight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also smart on their side, right? Like, they don't want to mm-hmm. give us everything, because then you get bogged down, and there's too many moving parts, and mm-hmm. you become very overwhelmed. That's the point of these quick starts, right? Is It's, it's meant to hook you, and then you kind of get to discover more cool stuff as you yeah. go in. If they give you all the cool stuff, then you'd be kind of disappointed <laughs> when you got into the full system. You know, and I will say that from, like, a behind-the-scenes planning this whole endeavor kind of thing, I've always been a firm believer in the idea that if you want us to know about something cool it needs to be in your quick start because that's the whole point of a quick start that is mm-hmm. the stuff that you want people to see to be like this is us and i think the dcc quick start in the end was perfectly fine we did have a few problems with it but you know i didn't know anything about mighty feats like that would have been great to just mm-hmm. be like hey this thing exists and i think that's actually a credit to the cyberpunk red quick start is number one they kind of did the same thing they're like hey there's all these great character or class abilities you only get one, but they gave us one. And mm-hmm. then they also said, there are these other things. We're not including them, but they're over here if you want to learn more about them. And so at least we knew that they were there. <clears throat> and that's another thing about a quick start is it is an advertisement piece. Not to, they are a business. They deserve to make money and oh, yeah. they put in work. And that's a good way to show people, hey, here's what we're offering. This is the, here's a taste. If you want, if you want, you know, a real supply, come to us. We'll keep you, we'll keep you hooked. Yeah, it's the Costco taste test of uh, Mm -hmm. tabletop (laughs) role-playing games. Uh, Okay, well, my question for everyone is what IP or, like, you know, storyline or take your pick of what you want to go with that would you like see turn into either like a tabletop full system or even just like a world or campaign diary you know something to work off of for your own personal games uh, so i've actually kind of answered this one i think in our first side table uh, i mentioned that i am a huge coheed and cambria fan and for people that aren't aware or haven't listened to them since the early 2000s, uh, the so Coheed and Cambria is known for their um, their overarching storyline that they've had across all of their albums, with the exception of one, um, where it's all connecting into this big universe and it's sci-fi and there's aliens and magic and everything and it's super cool. And I would love to have a tabletop role-playing game based in that universe, specifically in their latest album, uh, where it's basically a planet-sized prison that is uh, exploiting the prisoners to mine a resource that is incredibly valuable but the more that they mine the more unstable the planet gets and we have our main characters who uh, were sent to this planet and uh, they need to escape from the clutches of the, the evil like you know foreman I guess and uh, it's awesome and super cool and I would just love it not to mention it's got built in music cues so mm-hmm. like and the music is fantastic. I love Coheed. So. Touche. Yes. Would music yeah. be a major class ability? Oh, 100%. Mm. Um, yeah, and like there's a ton of source material to work on too because there are comic books as well as one prose novel that go along with uh, the story and everything. Um, the art, obviously, you can pull right from the comics and the art is all drawn by uh, like the, the lead singer of the band and his wife. Um, it would be 
awesome. And yeah, they have like a little bit of cybernetic stuff. Like there is a guy who has like a machine gun for an arm um, and like that kind of thing. There's a lot of like blades and some body horror and stuff. But there's also like there's uh, mages and wizards and angels mm. and it's crazy. And like, I know I sound like I'm, you know, having a heroin fever dream or something while I'm <laughs> explaining this, but there's a ton of source material material and it totally lends itself to a bunch of different classes. So that'd be my pick. I love Kohi. So. <laughs> it reminds me of how Ready Player One talks about the Rush novel or Rush albums, rather. Yeah, 100%. Really? Heavily inspired by Rush. Yeah. Yeah, they love Rush. They were devastated when Neil Peart passed away last year. That's fair. That's a loss to music for sure. 100%. He stands alone. That's actually Sits an alone, even. Reference, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sits alone. No, I can't nail YYZ. Neil Peart stands alone. I think that's Krieger's line from Archer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have something probably a little bit lighter than uh, Cade's, mm-hmm. uh, although his sounds like awesome. Um, and I'm not a Coheed fan, mm-hmm. but I know he really is. Um, I'll I am a, eventually. You know what? They, the couple of songs I've heard, like were great. I actually saw them at Warp Tour, um, which again just aged me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, just never really invested myself. But the one that I have, and it kind of exists already but not the way that I want it to. I want an officially licensed Pokemon TTRPG. Like, oh, yeah, yes. the stats are All already right. there. Like, they have a D&D, like, supplement that people have made unofficially, but I don't Can want a D&D. I want original. Can we play that, though, on the, the like, as an episode? Like, for, like, a top-up? Yeah, That'd be great as a top-up. That'd be awesome. Oh, That'd be man. fun. The Who only wants to DM that? For, I would love to DM that. I think that'd be super yeah. fun. The only tough part that I can see with that is there's so many Pokemon that I assume would work like familiars or companions mm-hmm. that just keeping track of all their stats and abilities could be a little tough. I think you just give like everyone like two or three Pokemon. You can have whoever you want from the canon yeah. or whatever that we have stats for. You pick it. Those are your three Pokemon for the session. We're doing a quick one shot. It would be harder for a whole campaign for sure. Yeah, for sure. Man, so the way I, I figure it... Mewtwo and Articuno. <laughs> uh, Everyone's got three legendaries. I because he's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if we're just saying our favorites, I'm going to go Umbreon. Like, that's that's all I want. Arcanine. Oh, those are Maybe all top tier. I like Tauros. Uh, he's probably my favorite. I've always liked Pinsir, and that's a sleeper mm-hmm. one. Nobody likes Pinsir. Heracross. Yeah, Heracross is the oh, shit. Okay, those both have great megas. Weaker. So, okay, the reason I love Pinsir is because the first episode of the, sh- the original cartoon I ever saw was when Pinsir almost straight up murders a Metapod and breaks him in half. And I'm like, yeah. oh my god, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And now I'm mm-hmm. 26 yeah. and still love Pokemon, so... <laughs> The original anime is surprisingly dark. Like, they've actually, like, banned a whole bunch of episodes. Like, there's one with, like, a gun, and they're just like, no, yeah. that's not Pokemon. <laughs> Read the manga sometime. It's even yeah. worse. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, I just think there, there's a lot of, like, well, number one, it's, like, a close place in my heart. You know, yeah. Pokemon Gold Forever on the GBC. But, uh, Silver. I, I think it lends itself really well because it's, like, all your Pokemon, they can just be your class abilities and stuff like that, right? Like, the things that they can do, that's what you do instead of having, like, you know your regular attacks and things like that and um it's it's already a pretty developed world and with stat blocks and i just think it's a natural fit yeah and encounters are so easy to build because not only just like other pokemon but now you have other trainers you have the gym leaders you have team rocket 
you have the that one kid who just there. really loves shorts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and like, uh, if they were to use like the black and white lore, where like there's the sa- the sages and yeah. you know the guy who is trying to. He's been trained his whole life to use Pokemon as weapons, but now he's discovering that, like, there's so much more, and he feels, like, yeah. an actual sense of, like, regret. Like, that storyline is deep. Well, there's the yeah. Pokemon Wars that no one talks about from even the original. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Surge. Oh, man. Yeah, you could build it as part of the wars. Oh, I want to play this so bad. Yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. I like this idea. We'll uh, we'll look at it for a top up and Jaden maybe you could run that because I would want to play. I think it'd be fun. I'm in. Why is my? I like the idea of running the top ups. They seem like there's like a lot more free formness to them. Yeah. Without the review, go ahead. I was just gonna say without the review and everything else that goes into it, they're definitely a lot more just let's just have fun. And I like having somebody else run them because they give me a break. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. I get it every time. It's nice to play, especially when you usually DM. I think for me, if I could make a system out of anything, first one that comes to mind is Dark Souls. But arguably, you could just run that with D&D rules and kind of call it a day. But the one I was just thinking of off the top of my head is uh, Halo. Because of the actual insane depth of the lore that's not presented in the games that you could explore through a tabletop scenario. And... All of the, like, insane enhancements and stuff in the Spartans and all their different equipment and armor sets and everything. You have, like, pages and pages and pages of material you could use to make class abilities and unique, like, setups for all of your characters. Pretty cool. There's and, like, there's, in, there's so well. much content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're way into, like, the, the background lore of Halo, but, like... I'm a huge Halo fan. That's the only reason I bought an Xbox One. Like, <laughs> and I only played Halo on it for like the longest time. Yeah, I yeah just, there's a like, lot of cool stuff in Halo to work with too. Yeah, the combat would be really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You'd have to. I think the newer games like Reach and Beyond add a lot more because they have like class abilities and stuff like that. So that makes it intriguing. I think if you were to go back to like Halo 1, it would be a lot harder because how do you make more interesting than just like shooting for battle? Well, because the thing is the Spartans in the actual universe outside the games, mm-hmm. they're like far more powerful than like what were presented in this 20 year old like video game engine, you know? They like, they move so fast that they don't use their guns half the time because they can like close distances and take things on in melee combat and with all of their augmentations and equipment almost easier than they can with guns a lot of the time. And they have so much technology and like unique, uh, not abilities, but like unique pieces of technology to each one that was talented in different things that like you could totally make better combat than in not better combat than in the games but you could translate it to tabletop pretty well yeah reach would probably be like the best analog of starting like where the series kind of showed the most of that kind of stuff because there's the six or whatever different spartans on the team they all kind of got their own deal and they show some versatility and then that last scene where you're fighting those guys and if you're good at the game you could sit there and kill guys for like 20 minutes (laughs) single-handedly destroying an army and the only reason why you die is because they're like here's another ship of enemies and another ship it's like oh 15 ships in whatever i still got another round in me <laughs> you know when i first saw the preview 
for uh, the new Halo, I was like super confused about the grappling hook and like what the what and then yeah, let's not even. Yeah, but you know what? You and what you just said totally sold me on that. At least that there's some cannon for that. There's a lot of cannon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have cannons. some sweet animated, like a sweet animated collection that really dives into a lot of like yeah. the stuff that's really cool. And the ODST game is good for some extra lore that's kind of outside of the Spartans. There's a series of novels as well. We have three of them. That's a lot. Jay, okay, what's well, yours? I guess mine. Well, I found it hard because like there's a whole bunch I thought of, and I'm like, I'm sure some were like, so I had like Fallout and Alien. And, like, Dying Earth, and apparently Dying Earth has one coming out in, you know, 2021. Alien already has one, and a new one coming out. Fallout has <laughs> one attached to their tabletop war game. And then I was like, oh, one kind of obscure one I thought was going to work was Amber Chronicles, which I think is written by Roger Zelazny. It's just an old fantasy yeah. book I really like. And they have an old one, and it's a diceless system. So I think it would be really cool to try. I want to look into it and see what's going on. Because it's more based on, like, your... How you explain how you solve the problem with your skills is how you figure out, like, the resolution. So I think it would be a little bit harder to DM or a little more abstract to DM, but I think it'd be cool. But I'd like that to be in a modern, updated system. But to find something without, I had to pick a relatively obscure sci-fi movie, which I think would still be cool. It's called Pandorum. It's from 2009. Yeah, it has some really great actors, and it's not super obscure. It's got a big cult following, but it's just a super cool idea where the ship has crash-landed. A whole bunch of humans have mutated into these crazy monsters, and there's a few people that are surviving, and they don't really realize exactly how long they've been on the ship. And so I think it would just be fun to exist at any time throughout that ship's history while it's, you know, these monstrous humans are just running around killing shit. Yeah. I think it'd be a great, like, one-page or, like, a super lean system, you know, like, just a, like, 20-page system, where you just, you know, you only want to play, like, a session or two for some fun, really cool (coughs) horror fast-paced gaming and you could wake up as different people in the pods for each mm-hmm. session and it's like at a different time and you'd find the remnants of like the ones who died before that sounds yeah. really interesting and you got to solve a different problem each time oh the reactor's going down this time well we're gonna fix that so we can survive and then the next people you wake up is a hundred years later and reactor's fine they fixed it but oh now the biosystems are down or the air scrubbers are down and we're all suffocating so you could totally just switch it around every time and have a new premise pretty easily i think Okay. All right. So the question I bring to the table is now after we've played a fantasy system, a somewhat modern system of referring to Cthulhu, uh, and Cade at least and me and Ruin have all played a like modern times version of Cthulhu. Um, and then we played a sci-fi system. Just like to talk a little bit about the differences in playing in those time eras and role playing in those time eras, and if you prefer one or the other or dislike one or the other. So I think I prefer fantasy. Um, a because like it's so different from our world uh, <coughs> that it's cool and just like it's the the genre that I'm most familiar with. It's what I've read the most, is what I've watched the most of most games that I've played have fallen into that category um, and I think it's really cool to kind of put yourself into the shoes of like an amalgamation of all of your favorite fantasy characters yeah. um, 
for me, like, modern times, I find less compelling just because, like, I live in modern times. And even if I'm, like, a way cooler version of me, it's like, it's still like, yeah, okay, I pull up my iPhone. Uh, or, like, whatever, <laughs> right? And then, like we were talking about uh, in the espresso, like, the the future, like, the cyberpunk doesn't really grab me just because that's not my genre. Um, and I just don't know enough about that kind of world and that genre to really efficiently roleplay in it, I think. So for me, it's fantasy, and a lot of that's just, that's what I'm most familiar with. Um, I also love just, like, melee combat more than shooting, just because, again, like, as a martial artist who's shot one gun in his entire life, <laughs> that it, it ties very well into what I know, so. Yeah, I feel the, like, melee swords and sorcery stuff really goes well with the tabletop uh, mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. and that's what I would say, like, for me. In terms of, like, gameplay and, say, like, making characters and builds and playing and fighting monsters and stuff, I really do prefer fantasy as well because I find it's easier to translate the combat into um, the tabletop format. And uh, there's something just about it, like, just the the mindset and the adventures you go on and, like, fighting dragons and rolling dice just go hand in hand for me. But then playing a, like, modern setting role-playing game with Cthulhu for the first time over this last year, I found it so much easier and and more uh, intuitive to role-play in that setting. Because whenever I played, like, D&D or other fantasy-type games, it would always just be about... I'd default into video game mode where I'm like, okay, I gotta get the numbers to go up, I gotta get the enchanted sword, I just gotta go kill monsters, gain XP, level up. But when we played Cthulhu, I'm like, alright, I'm Matt Hawkins, reporter for the Boston Globe, I like can really feel this character. And I just found it way easier to roleplay in that setting. And then as far as the sci-fi goes, uh, I did kind of find it a little weird to roleplay because it's like I wanted to act like we were in modern times, but then I had to remember, oh wait, everything's super futuristic. Um, but I didn't, I didn't mind the the gameplay aspect of it because the cyberware and stuff seemed to add a lot to being able to do unique things. So I'm kind of um, similar to a, a couple points that you touched upon there, Jody. And I, I really like fantasy, but I've been open before that my, I guess, initiation into that world was quite late in life in comparison to, I think, a few. I'd done fantasy light, you know, like Christopher Paulini and his works and Harry Potter. And so obviously I love Harry Potter, but... Um, I'd never really done high fantasy. I always found it, for for all the reasons that I've talked about in previous side tables, which if you haven't listened, go back. I'm not going to re-explore that. But, um, and just, I find it kind of um, gatekeepy. Like, if you don't know the terms, then it's hard to really get yourself into it without doing a lot of backstory. Um, and, and that's just my personal view on it. But I do enjoy it, and I am getting into it a lot more as I get older. Um, but I've always found it so much easier to roleplay in things like Cthulhu and things like Monster of the Week. Things that have rules and established norms that we know in our world. And things react the way that I would expect them to react. And the world looks the way that I do. I just think it's easier for me to access that world. Despite the fact that I love D&D and I try to get more into it, it's just not as easy because I don't have that background. 
Um, yeah, I think I kind of feel like in a similar way. I'm probably almost the opposite of Cade. I, I really like the sci-fi. That was actually my first time playing sci-fi, and I don't have a ton of experience with modern, only Cthulhu. And I like both of those because, like you said, it's just it feels more analogous to normal life. I know some people might say sci-fi feels a little stretched. But to me, you know, a cell phone to uh, whatever they called them, a butler or whatever. What was it in Cyberpunk? Agent. An agent. Agent, yeah. Like, it's the same thing. That's pretty easy to me. And I thought it was, like, really easy. I was like, oh, I have, you know, a system I can hack into. Oh, if I use the vents, I can do this. That's the same thing. We get some gas in the sprinklers. I know how to, you know, start a fire in a building, apparently. Who knew? Um, whereas fantasy, I do find it a little more abstract. I like it because I think it's freeing, that abstractness. I think it allows people to really go as wide as they possibly do. I think because, you know, sci-fi is closer to modern, it is more constrained because we have an idea of what the modern world is and how those things function. And since we have an more analogs with it, we have more constraint to it. But, I mean, they're both wicked. I like them for different reasons, I guess. I think fantasy is just as easy if you want to get into it. But I, I think that I'm just more, you know, knowledgeable on sci-fi. So I find it a little bit more easy to get in the space of it, I think. And, you know, when Kate and I were texting last week after Cyberpunk, like, I you, I said that whole noir, or in the case of Cyberpunk, neo-noir mm -hmm. genre, I'm super into. And it is basically because you're right, I think, Jaden, it acts a little bit more like we're familiar with. But, like, man, it's so cool to be a hardened, badass detective just, like, messing mm -hmm. people up and investigating a mystery. Yeah, in a modern world, right? Like, it's kind of that old idea of, like, you know, that... I, what do they call him? Gumshoe or Flatfoot or whatever detective yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the day from the 1940s, all pulpy. But we take it into the future. Let's see what it's going to be like <laughs> if you're going to be a personal, you know, a PI in, you know, 2080. I think that's a cool idea. Well, guys, I'm out of coffee, so let's take a break. Hey there, friends. It's Ruin, and I'm here with Cade. Hi, I'm still Cade. We're just here to say thanks for giving us a shot and uh, listening. During our refill, we wanted to take a moment on top of that to say we've got some social media. You should check it out. Join us in some conversation. And while you're at it, maybe hit that subscribe button. Yeah. If you'd like to take a little bit more time, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review us on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. Uh, it helps us immensely with the mystical algorithms created by the elder gods of social media. And uh, it helps us push the show to more people. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun doing this, and we hope you are too. But we'd like it if more people could join us, so go ahead and do those things. We also have an email address. You can shoot us an email at cantripsandcoffee at gmail.com. If you want to maybe suggest your favorite coffee or your favorite tabletop system that we haven't tried out yet, we're always looking for more suggestions and would love to hear some from you. You may have also noticed that we're running out of topics on our side table conversations, so maybe shoot us a question that we could talk about there. As an added bonus, you can also look forward to some contests that we have up and coming. Trust me, they're going to be worth just hitting that little subscribe button. There's also some pretty cool collaborations that we're working on with some uh, some other content creators. It's an exciting time here in the Natural 20, and uh, we want to make it as exciting as we can for you as well. So with that, we're going to jump back into the show. And we're back, and hopefully highly caffeinated. Well, um, you know, my question today is really quite straightforward. Um, 
and it kind of builds off of the last one really nicely. Um, we've dealt with a lot of systems that have magic, and now we've dealt with some systems that have tech. <laughs> and I just wanted to know what you guys thought. What is objectively, we'll say objectively, cooler? Magic or tech? Magic. Magic. Like, there's limits to what we can possibly fathom that technology can do. There's spells in D&D, and I'm sure in DCC, and I'm sure in Gods, that can do things you can't even imagine and take you to other universes and stuff. Like, how do you top that? How do you top a spell that can change the, like, path of history, like, forever, you know? There's something to be said about cool technology, and uh, a lot of times it can be more, like, straightforward in how it can be used for technology. But I, I'll stand by magic is objectively cooler if we're going to use that word. What's that, that famous saying? Any science sufficiently complicated is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, I have it written so, down. Let me see what I wrote. Do you? <laughs> yeah, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, and I believe that is Arthur C. Clarke. You know, on that point, though, that anything sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable, to me, that's not quite accurate. Because at the end of the day, I know that somebody out there can explain that technology. Yes, to your, you know, your, your plebeians or your peons, those are, <laughs> that's what it seems like, right? But at the end of the day, everything can be described because we had to go out of our way to create it. I think there's something to be said that magic is just unknown. And I think this goes to the idea of Star Wars and the fact that when Episode 1 came out and they decided to explain <coughs> what the magic was, so many people were disillusioned that they actually turned against the franchise. It was no longer a magical force that was controlled by space wizards. It was these, you know, b cells within your body that can harness energy in the air. And, and that has a technological aspect to it. To be fair, nobody hates Star Wars as much as Star mm -hmm. Wars fans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and no, I, mean, I think technophobia that... is really common, right? Whenever new technologies come out, everyone freaks out. Once we understand something, or TV, when that came out, everyone's like, family's ruined. Cell phones, family's ruined. Those are just people that were freaking yeah. out about the midichlorians. They're just, you know, people that don't want to accept the truth of the world. Uh, it's been around since the Luddites that rejected electricity when it was first, mm -hmm. like, discovered. Um, I think that that saying whole, held true when it was first penned, but I think now we've kind of reached the point where, like, yeah, I have more power in a tiny thing the size of a deck of cards in my pocket than the first space shuttle did. Like, we had enough technology to get to the moon, but we didn't have enough technology to fake getting to the moon at one point. And that just, like, <laughs> blows my mind. So, like, now, if someone's like, yeah, you know, like, we created a, holocam a holo uh, hologram, hologram that put uh, Tupac on stage. I was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's neat. Uh, maybe I can see Nirvana one day. But, like, if you told my grandmother that when she was, like, a teenager in the 50s, she would have probably called the police and had you thrown in a loony bit. But, mm -hmm. like, yeah, like, magic, you're right. Like, I know there is no way that technology can take, like, bones and frogs and crap, throw them in a cauldron, and then out comes something that will turn you into a bear. <laughs> like, I know that, that, that there's no technology that's going to make that happen because we understand matter and we understand energy, and that's just not how that works. So, for me, I think magic is cool because it, it bends what we know is possible to being something that is so outside of that that 
you know, the limits don't exist. Kurt Cobain is rolling in his grave, <laughs> knowing that you would pay money to see him as a hologram. You son of a... Who said I would pay money? Right? <laughs> I'd see him. Like, if it was there, I'd bootleg it. <laughs> um, I think the idea, too, that magic generally comes... like It's a power held within you, not a tool that you, like, purchased that you're using or something like that. That adds kind of a <clears throat> kind of a cool weight to it. Mm. And it also yeah. lets you, like, make it part of your character to the inner, like, core instead of being an exterior feature. There's no magic capitalism, right? Well, like, it's not like... My mages the... guild from my last D&D campaign would disagree because they were capitalists through... I can sell magic then, items. Like, the most <laughs> money... The person with the most money isn't necessarily the person who has the most magic. Yeah, that's fair. Right? Where, but, but, like, the people if it's with a the most magic make system, the most money. Mages yeah, did. but you know, correlation does not always equal causation. <laughs> yeah, <you're right. laughs> but like Can someone I... like cyberpunk, if you had just endless amounts of money, you'd be able to have the best cybernetics yeah. and the best like tech, and you'd be probably the most formidable foes like force on the planet. Elon Can Musk I... would be a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Can I offer a different perspective? That maybe the <laughs> no. use of magic is understanding the fundamental ways of the world working so well that you were able to make things that a layman thinks was impossible that you know so flying alchemy. was yeah in a certain sense flying was an impossibility to most people before it was invented they would say never there's no you couldn't produce enough energy you couldn't produce enough force to get you off the ground because you couldn't at that time but as it evolved it has changed and so with that idea that you know that as you understand it goes to that point why can i maybe eventually understand physics so well that a cheat code is, is i can control gravity right now we can't imagine controlling gravity but there is theories about us doing it, and there's people that are able to measure gravitational waves that are so infinitesimally small that we still can't even fathom how small they are. But one day, people will use them, potentially, as a way to you know, travel at the speed of light. And so that seems like magic to us. That, even though I can kind of think of the tech, that is just as infathomable to me as magic. But one day, that could be technology. Yeah, See, that's I kind of... that guy from China who attached all those fireworks to his chair. <laughs> <laughs> it all started with him, and now yep. we've got Elon Musk putting cars in space. <laughs> See, I think where I come from is that it's still tech at that rate. Like, because mm -hmm. even though it evolved, like, we're almost taking, like, the Greek god angle of it, of like, oh, we, we couldn't, but now we can. Well, that's still tech. Um, whereas something about magic to me will never be able to be explained. Like, no matter how much you do it, like, magic itself will not be explained the way that we could recreate or do it ourselves, right? Like, yeah. the way the human body worked at one point was magic as well, but we can recreate it now, so that's not magic, right? But, mm -hmm. like, the way that Gandalf uses magic, which, side note, we should all respect the fact that before, like, Tolkien existed, magic was, like, non-physical, but he turned it into something that could be represented. Um is the way that Gandalf uses magic is like, um, you know, he, we, he couldn't just like recreate it and be like, well, here, if I put these things together, boom, it's the same thing. You know, he has fireworks, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's part of like the magic of magic is that it's unexplainable. Like if it could be explained, it takes all the steam out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just a definition or different definitions of magic, right? Like if you guys... You would have a strong argument against, you know, if you went up against Jack Vance, because that's his whole idea of dying Earth, is that the people who understand magic, because the dying Earth is the Earth so far in the future 
that it's falling apart and it's cataclysmic and he has made magic under the idea that the people who use it are like practitioners of this and they've studied it their entire life and they know they can read the universe in a certain sense and they can use these creatures that no one else can even see because they know where they're hidden in the universe like the cheat codes of the universe in a sense but well, I think they're all that. valid definitions, right? 100%. Well, and even that, though, with fancy and ra- magic, like, yeah, they've studied it. They can control it. But can they create it? You know? Like, if it dies and it's gone, can they... Yeah, they can, like, it? bring it back. They can come back with the same demon like they, and they can hold it. They One of one of the ways he... He's really wishy-washy with how he writes it anyways. But one way is, like, they're little demons that you can hold in your head and you summon them into your brain and you can only hold four or five because... If you hold too many, they're just going to destroy your brain because you don't have the power. So a more powerful man that understands magic better can hold a couple of more of these demons that are like, well, like almost in a certain sense, like this demon controls gravity and he's how they hack into it. So it is still super magical, not techie, but almost kind of techie. So maybe one day everyone would be able to just have a palm pilot that those demons are uploaded into and then you can cast that spell Ooh, and there is settings where they both exist tech and magic like Shadowrun, where like oh, there's yeah. high technology but there's also elf wizards like final fantasy pretty neat. you know i think yeah, it's, hard. it's so much yeah. subjective Shimigami terminology Kansai. in it i guess mm-hmm. this is showing my ignorance of like jack uh jack fans but like could they create the demons though? I think that's like they're harnessing the demons. They're bringing them back, but can they create the demons? I I don't know enough yeah. to be a hundred percent sure. Like I guess those like the demons always existed and they've learned how to use them, right? So it is tech, right? But the way he describes mm. it is always in such a magical way. Like it's a, like one of the ways. Like I said when we were talking about it in uh, DCC, is one way he kills a guy is he casts a spell that lets him spin him as fast as he wants, and he spins him so fast that he separates. That yeah. doesn't. That seems like super magical to me. There's no tech there. He floated the dude in the air. There was no manipulation of anything other than the forces of the universe that his magic has let him tap into, which is arguably the same forces that physics dictate on the rest of the world. He just knows how to use physics to control the world. To to get back to the the actual question at hand, yeah. uh, for my answer of it, um, I think there's something really awesome about tech and that. Um, you know, especially with, with how cyberpunk looks at it, of like it's like the edginess, like the style choice of it is really awesome. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess for me, it goes back to magic for all the things that we talked about. Like it's it's less describable. It is very close to tech and tech's super cool. But at the end of the day, magic is just something I don't really have to think about the rules for and whether it um, could exist. It just does. And that's that's mm-hmm. magical. Yeah, after taking that side on the tech thing, I totally agree with you, though, too. Magic is way better. Things that are just unexplainable and they just do it, that feels way more powerful and awe-inspiring than, this guy spent 20 years reading these books and that's why he can spin a guy to death. All right, and uh, I'm last. So, uh, so for my discussion, uh, basically the idea for this came from Gods. After we had already uploaded it, and I was listening back to the episode, and I realized that we never put any kind of like trigger warning in the episode to warn people of some of the stuff that was coming up in it. And while I don't think anything in there was like extremely bad or going to scar anybody or anything. If somebody had some experiences with some certain events, some of that might have been traumatic for them. 
And then I also realized that, like, as a, a DM, I never, like, gave you guys a heads up of what was coming or anything like that. So I guess my, my topic of discussion is kind of, like, how would you go about, like, um, like clearing that kind of content with players as a DM? Then how would you, like, work within their constraints and then... Yeah, like what what happens when those boundaries get broken, like by another player or by yourself accidentally? I feel like you did brief us fairly well on it. Um, I could see like uh, realizing that we didn't put something at the start of the episode and then going into the content of the episode. That could be like a little bit of a, a dilemma. But I think in the like what we talked about beforehand, you did brief us pretty well on it. So I wouldn't say that you didn't let us know that there was yeah. going to be some dark stuff. But I think as far as from a DM standpoint or somebody who's running the game, you should know at least roughly the people that you're playing with and be able to kind of read the room before you even start. And like, it should always be talked about. I think when you're looking to run a campaign with people or even just a single adventure, like make sure people know kind of the rough gist of things like, Obviously, don't give away the story points, but, like, have a little chat about what's going on. And uh, that actually is kind of a point just made me think about how do you get the the talk about what's going to be inside the adventure without giving away the plot points, especially if there's specific things you're worried about that people might be concerned about. But I think I always just go with read the room. Same with, like, making, like, calls as a dm for what goes on in the game or like how things have to change you just got to see how people react maybe ask people beforehand if like that could be a way to do it without giving away any plot points is ask them if there's anything that they particularly don't want to see come up especially if it's a darker system like gods as a side note um we in our espresso we did actually have a moment where i had read some lore that was part of the world, and um, I thought it was best not to actually delve into what it was. Uh, there is some cut content that uh, Cade ensured the world will never know, but there was um, some actual stuff that uh, was was too dark, and I just went for the general listening audience. It doesn't need to be out there, so it kind of goes back to Jody saying, you know, use your judgment. Um, but from a technical standpoint of planning games, um, I have actually seen online people creating checklists and um, when they're finding people who they want to play a new campaign with, they actually send them the checklist and it's full of things and it's like, what are you okay? Like, what are your limits almost? Like, it's almost like there's three limits of like, I'm okay with this. I would be accepting of this, although it's not my preference. And then like, this is the hard stop, like full stop. No, I'm not doing that. And I think it sounds like a lot of work, but what a better way to get a feel for your players before you actually get into that game space. Because as I've said on our previous episodes, it really goes down to being a trust level with your players. Yeah, I think that also, in addition to like, you get to know them. Also, it builds that, that kind of rapport and makes your players feel comfortable. Like your DM is considering those things um, and kind of keeping in mind like, oh, okay, they're, they're looking out for me even though, you know, they're the DM and they're running the game and I'm just a player. Like, they're looking out for me and making sure that I'm safe and okay. I would also say that if you're creative um, and you have a feel good, or a pretty good feel for your players and what their limits are, that, like, just kind of poking the boundaries of those limits in a 
compelling way that has some kind of narrative significance and maybe like raises a moral or ethical debate can actually be a good thing as long as it's not like tasteless nonsense and like mm -hmm. i think from the flip side of players doing this to the dms as well i've ran multiple game sessions where the murder hobo players push things far enough that i like as a dm i was just like straight up no like i know this game is about you're supposed to be able to do whatever you want but you guys have to stop because i can't in good conscience describe these scenarios anymore so it's not just the dms that have to worry about the players players don't be total goons to your dms either i once had a dm who was completely against anything sexual and it wasn't it was like even to the point of like if you said more than like i'm going to seduce them and like here's like these light-hearted little things i'm gonna do they were they were out with it and they would just say no you can't do that um and I respected that boundary because I knew that that's what they were uncomfortable with. And they actually said it was because somebody pushed it too far one time. Yeah, well, it's amazing. You know, people, for, like, not often, I guess, depends on who you are. But, you know, verbal sexual assault is not an uncommon thing or people have problems with that. So you can push things too far for anyone. Or I shouldn't go with sexual verbal assault is what I should have said. Yeah. Recut that as verbal assault, Cade. Gotcha. That's way better. We don't need to go down that dark of a road. <laughs> Again, general viewing content, right? Um, but, yeah, I think it's just open communication is the biggest thing about it all, right? Like, I think uh, before you really start playing a game, like Jody said, give everyone that opportunity. Just be like, hey, what is your, like, we'll make a list today. Like, because it's not just any one person's game. It's the whole group, and you all have to agree to have a good time. And part of that is listening to everyone. And so just say, here's a no-go. And even if someone's like, oh, man, I really wish I could do that. Except that you're being nice to them because they're going to be nice on the things that you don't want to happen to. And so then no one's uncomfortable and they'll all have a better time. And then I think set a rule that if you ever feel uncomfortable in the situation, you can just stop the game and just say, hey, I'm cool or get up and walk away. And that's our sign. Pick a, some sort of sign that if that person does it, we're stopping. We're going to just recenter. I'm going to be like, what was wrong quickly? It doesn't need to be big or too deep. If it needs to be, go as far as you need to. But just say. I wasn't uncomfortable there and say, hey, okay, we're going to rework the situation. Let's go from a better perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I think also, like, I don't know, like it was said, like, you know, you usually know your players. And, like, for the most part, yeah, I'd say, like, you know everybody in your party. But even, like, with this podcast, until we recorded our first episode, uh, like, I didn't know Jody super well. We had played a little bit over the summer, but, like, I don't know you super well, you know, until we started doing this. You guys had never met Jaden before. Um, so, like, even just, like, I know what Jaden's boundaries are because I've known him for years. He knows mine, but, like, Jody might not know things that I'm really sensitive to. You know, Ruin knows things, but only from the last couple of years. And, yeah, like, I think it's just good to kind of set that baseline I think and, and yeah like the the checklist I've seen them online too and I think they're great and honestly like if I'm doing DMing moving forward I'm probably going to employ them just because it's a good like hey you know before we get too deep you know while you guys are making your characters take a second and fill this out just so that I know what's off limits and sometimes it's not even as big as like I don't want any sexual content sometimes it's as simple as like look like I lost you know a parent last couple of months ago and i'm just still dealing with that and i'm just not okay with that being in this right now because i'm still mm -hmm. yeah. awesome perfect good to know like i don't want to accidentally you know mm -hmm. cause someone to no longer feel safe and comfortable in something that is meant to allow people to kind of live cool versions of their lives and have a lot of fun and stuff like mm -hmm. that so 
yeah, I love the idea of the checklist, and I think the idea of, like, okay, we're uncomfortable, we need to stop right now. And just, like, if a player breaks those boundaries and, like, is doing it maliciously, like, sorry, man, get out. You're you're not invited. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The only wrong way to play tabletop is if someone's unhappy at the table. Exactly. I do a lot of volunteerism in my community, and um, the, the organization is fairly big across Canada, and um, they have a common expression and yet it's not like overt it's just under the table and it's that like if one member is the problem they have to go because then it's everybody's problem and it really comes back to almost everything and maybe it's not as explicit as like hey you need to get out and never come back but it's like uh this one person is causing everybody else to be on edge to be anxious to be argumentative and if you just even put it into perspective if they're willing to listen makes everything better So, what other kind of content have you guys been looking at lately? I just finished, well, not just finished, just finally got around to watching a movie called Underwater. came out last year. It's, um, you know, claustrophobic. They're not in space, they're underwater. But alien, well, not alien, but, you know, horror flick. It's kind of like the alien movies, just with its own spin and in a different world. And then I also made me re-watch the Alien series, which are, like, some of my favorite movies. Those two movies, actually, both of those are really great. Alien... 100% 100% everyone should watch those if you want to know what sci-fi horror is. That's classic right there. Absolutely. Um, is it uh, is it HR or HG Geiger? HG Geiger? Yeah. Is it Geiger? Yeah. Geiger? I've always Geiger. said Geiger. It's Babel Babel whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, he he is like the most prolific, you know, horror body horror and mm-hmm. like extraterrestrial art style out there it's referenced so many places i mean in uh the novel i read recently um to sleep in the sea of stars there's a scientist who his name is homaged as geiger (laughs) cool nice yeah um for me so i just finished reading the sequel to ready player one which is ready player two uh it's pretty disappointing uh it's just it's just not as tight yeah if you've read ready player one and you enjoyed it um you know, it's it's similar ground, uh, just kind of taken to the next level, but uh, it just isn't as polished. It's kind of like the if you if you're a music person and you follow a band, usually their second album is not as good as their first album, because the first album you have infinite amount of time to get those songs perfect, and then the second album you have to follow it up because you know it it's got to come out quick to capitalize on the first one. Yeah, sequel syndrome. Yeah, so I feel like Ready Player Two kind of fell into that same kind of vein. Um, and then for like video games, uh, I've been playing a lot of World of Warcraft as per usual. Uh, but I've also been messing around with Green Hell, uh, which Decent. is a survival horror. I guess survival horror, but it's a survival game where uh, you're stuck in uh, the Amazon or something similar to the Amazon. Um, and there's a bunch of like cannibal tribes around. It's kind of like The Forest, which is one of my all time favorite games. And I'm so jacked for the sequel to come out this year. Um, but it's like that, but without mutants. Uh, it's more kind of grounded in reality and more focused on the survival aspect than the like combat and enemy forces combat or uh, any enemy forces mechanic. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's really hard, and uh, I'm having a great time with it. 
if you want a really, really disgusting, gory horror film in that same vein, it's called Green Inferno, and it's more or less, you <laughs> yeah. know, people getting kidnapped <laughs> by a cannibal tribe yeah. in the Amazon, yeah. and it gets real gross. The yeah. Isn't that just cannibal I, holocaust? No, yeah, that, this much. is, this is like the cannibal holocaust that you could actually maybe show in a theater someday. Yeah, like, but also isn't a lot of cannibal holocaust are like it's on the tapes but they don't actually show you the tapes so in some ways this is like they did they showed you what was on the tapes but what they could still show you on the tapes i think I'm the not implication sure. on cannibal holocaust was that anything on the tapes could never have been showed on tv so my favorite yeah. fact about cannibal holocaust is that they got taken to court and had to bring the actors in <laughs> to prove that they didn't actually die and i think that's <laughs> hilarious i just wanted to say about the green inferno movie that I just I hated most of the movie. It was mm-hmm. too cheesy and brutal. But the like irony of the ending of these like environmental activists that are they've never been happier in their lives than when they saw those armed military goons come out of the forest and start blasting down all of these tribes people. Mm-hmm. And it's like it shows the like irony that no matter how good your intentions are when your life is in danger, it's like I just I just want to be safe. <laughs> Yeah, the overstepping of white people yeah. into un, un, misunderstood situations. Um, yep, that's the whole also plot it has, of Green Hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. It has Junie from um, Spy Kids in it. Yeah, does no. it? Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I hope he's that's, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he gets like his like stomach like ripped out. Met the actor, but I hope he's okay oh. too. <laughs> he's, I'm sure. I, well, I, he's doing weird movies. So, in 2013, for me, I've been slowly coasting through the 11 series of Mash I got for Christmas. Oh, it's a long, so slow burn, but <laughs> I oh, could do gosh. it. I could do it over and over again. And then lately, I've been really binging this channel on YouTube called History Time, and specifically these. This series about um, what happened when Rome collapsed and left all their infrastructure in Britain and how they like built like built it back after it collapsed and just the weird interactions and all these things that we don't really hear about too much because uh, a lot of the history that gets projected to us is from like Middle Ages Britain after they had unified. And this is like way before that. And there's not a lot of details. There's no written records. And it's just like archaeological speculation. But I find it like it's the perfect listen to before bed fodder. Because I'm just thinking about Stone Age Britain and all these crazy tribes creating rituals and fighting each other for power. That sounds so awesome. And I I really need a link on that. (laughs) Uh, I myself, um, I have number one been watching and actually finished i binged it karate kid cobra kai season three right like yes oh it's that show is better than it has any right to be like i a, totally agree yeah 30 year old follow-up to like a cheesy 80s movie it's intense like yeah it's so good um i have been trying to convince my wife that she needs to watch it but she's never seen any of the karate kid movies and so I'm working on it, and uh, my plan is to re-binge the whole series with her, but um, we actually started The Mandalorian, because she was interested oh. in that. Yeah, we're uh, three se- or three episodes in, and uh, so far, we're liking it. Uh, it has that nice 
I was thinking about it. It relates back to our conversation of like the old tech, new tech thing, and I really like that. You know, like everything's space ancient. western. Yeah, it's so good. It's it's all the good things of Serenity and Firefly added to Star Wars. Fantastic. Um, but lastly, uh, I've been reading this book, and it's actually a sequel. It's called Forest Mage, and this is on my high fantasy journey. It's written by Robin Hobb, and the the first book is Soldier's Son, and it's really interesting because it's essentially what would have happened in our real life history of like britain colonizing the world but if the indigenous had magic and so the colonizers had to like figure out how to take their magic away which here's a hint it's it's iron like it is in every fantasy you know <laughs> like um but uh and so what it is is they have this caste system where the the nobleman his first son has to be the the next nobleman and then his second son is the the soldier's son and then the third son is the priest and so it's from the pr- perspective of Never Burville and he is the soldier's son and so what happens is in the first book he goes off for training with one of the indigenous which is like unheard of like his father's like breaking societal norms and stuff like that and he comes into contact with a magical being and then it progresses from there into like almost like an adult style Harry Potter where he's at the uh, the military academy and he's in the meantime dealing with this like magical entity that's connected to him. And then uh, I just started the the sequel, and in the sequel, um, everywhere has been ravaged by like a plague that was spread by the indigenous and like the the magic people. Um, and he is this person who's now survived it, quote unquote, even though he was like basically the cause of it. And so he's grappling with the idea that he brought this about, but also that he's still connected to the magical world and he feels guilty. It's it's really good and um, yeah I'm excited Sounds to really finish cool. it yeah yeah I'll have to check that out I can lend you the first one if you want uh, I'm working on a book that my wife got me for Christmas but uh, once I've done that it's the never ending struggle oh man the to read pile is always bigger than the red pile mm-hmm. and it always grows <laughs> and with that philosophical note I'm out of coffee and I got to get out of here so we'll catch you guys next time. 